Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm so happy you're here today and I get to introduce you to someone who is truly a special being on this planet. She is an embodiment of love and compassion and the mother goddess and when you are in her presence you feel closer to the divine for sure. Uh, Some of you may know her, some of you may not, but hopefully this will encourage you to seek out her music and read her memoir. This is Sister Shri or Regina French. She's written a new book called Seva Selfless Service, the memoir of a modern day yogi. And it follows her life and her work. Many of you might not realize that she's been teaching yoga for many, many, many years. And she's a mother of two adult children now. Uh, She taught yoga to AIDS patients in hospices, women in halfway houses, senior citizens, and children in inner city schools in California, New York, Boston, and India. She's also lived in India for several years uh, and is deeply rooted in the practices of devotion. Sister Sri has had a rich and diverse musical career and a miraculous spiritual journey. She's spent over 30 years studying the ancient practice of mantra meditation and using sacred sound to amplify and cultivate bhakti and is deeply rooted in the Ashtanga yoga tradition and practice. She said to me, silence is the essence of sound, and the breath and the sounds and the silence heal us and take us deeper into the self. She's played music with many great masters of jazz and funk, and uh Many of you may have been able to enjoy her kirtans that are very different types of kirtans than the traditional Indian bhajans. They're interwoven with uh, jazz and soul, and uh, her whole being just radiates music and vibrates this love. So without making you wait any longer... We will introduce you to this beautiful interview with my dear friend and soul sister, Sister Shri. Welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm here with Russell Kay. It is a deep honor to be here today with, with um, a very good friend of ours. Um, Sister Shri, are you there on the line? I'm here. Hello, and thank you for inviting me. <laughs> oh, we're so happy you're here, Sister Shri. Can, can, can I ask you, it, would you like us to refer to you as Miss Shri or 
Ms. French, Regina, Sister oh, Shreve, can you just say that? You can just call me Sister out. <laughs> All right. All right. Good. Sister. All right. That's what everybody calls me here. It's, it's funny. In India, I'll just say this and then I'll shut up so you can continue. <laughs> they, they didn't like to call me sister because that's a nun. The sister is the sister is always right. a nun. And they didn't, oh, a nun. Get, they didn't get the ebonic side of it, a sister. Right. That, that's yeah. Ebonic. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Sister Shri uh, describes herself as an African American yoga pioneer and teacher. She is from the state of Sequoia, known today as Oklahoma, and the 49th state to enter the Union on November 16th, 1907, as she's written. She is uh, in, in her recent book uh, called Seva Selfless Service the memoir of a modern day yogi. And we wanted to talk with you about your book and talk with you about your life. I, I thought that was such an incredibly novel and interesting way to describe yourself as from the state of Sequoia. Can you, can you, I believe you were, you were raised there. You, you raised your daughter there and your grandmother is still there as I understand. Unfortunately, she passed away since. The oh, since the written. book was published. Yes, oh, yes. I'm sorry to hear that. But she lived 104 oh. years. So that's wow. a lot. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> she used to always tease me and say, "Well, the social security system has been very good to me because I went <laughs> on it when I was 65 years old." <laughs> yeah, wow. 20 years, 40 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can, can you talk at all um, about using the word sequoia? Because in, it's interesting to me because here in Alberta, it's standard practice. When you do anything in public, the first thing that you do is you pay respect to the Cree, to the First Nations, Tsutina, Nakoda, Siksika. Those nations are, are, this is their land, we're here. And so we pay respects to them. And I, I thought that was amazing when, when you said right off, I'm from Sequoia. Can, can you talk about that at all? Oh, it's just something that I've always done because I think it's important. And I didn't know that, they, that that's something that other cultures practice, but it definitely, African-Americans who are from the Southern part of the US for the most part, and even some places here in the North, because the connection is still is so strong, the um, with with um, with the native with the native people, the original people from this place, and um, it's just customary to honor, you know, those mm -hmm. that came before us, which is interesting because that's the way it is in in the Indian tradition, which is one of the reasons that I was so attracted to the whole thing because there's so many similarities, particularly when it comes down to honoring the earth and the organics, the organic aspects of life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just like, it's just the way you do it. There's no other way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, with the Atta Yoga Nishasanam, you know, here finally yoga is revealed, but it, it, it um, it means that there were so many people before us mm -hmm. and we're going to pay respect to those people that came before us to then introduce the concept of, of yoga. But we do that yeah. first. Right, right, right. Yeah, it makes me think of like also some of the yoga texts like the Hatha Pratipika, you know, where they're 
and I'm there's many other texts like this as well where they give the whole lineage of all the teachers and name all of the teachers mm-hmm. before the text begins it's very right. much part of their their heritage I would say too yeah yeah so you know when you start to look at the traditions and the you know the ancient traditions I mean the only thing difference in people is the geographics where you where you were actually physically born. Other than that, we're all the same. And the reason that I think the, um, you, I think she said, you mentioned something in your notes about the yamas and the yamas and, and how I filtered them through. I just yeah. think yamas and niyamas represent the organic aspect of all life. I don't care where you're from. Mm-hmm. And it sort of helps you put it into perspective. Internally, we already know it, but because sometimes we get so removed from um, the actual aspects of, 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 of our being, ourselves, you know, we have to relearn that. And that's what's so beautiful about yoga. It allows us to go into, uh, into the womb mm. of humanity and of and, and the earth and just like relearn this stuff that we actually came here with. One of the things that I loved about um, meeting Guruji and about being around him was just sort of this nonverbal thing that we had, you know, because his his English wasn't like his English wasn't like mine, which isn't very good. <laughs> but, but the thing that I liked about him through his eyes, through his soul, through his smile, he taught us mm. how to awaken the interior self. He, he was sort of like a guide. And the thing, the other thing that I like about him is that he was a guide that gave you wings to fly, you know, to just, mm. you know, go into the essence of your own being and just do. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's really incredible how you structured your book. Each of the chapters are set up as one of the limbs of Ashtanga Yoga. I mean, with the, ex- the exclusion of West Germany, which stuck out. Um, <laughs> that, was a- <laughs> that was chapter two, was West Germany, and everyone else was Asana or Fatiara. <laughs> well, West Germany was, the, was sort of like a lesson, you know, doing the, you know, it was, it, and it truly was a lesson. I will... I remember being a kid and living there and just like sitting in the window and looking out and just thinking, why am I here? Mm-hmm. And it was, it was one of those things you that you just had to learn. To, it was a lesson that I had to learn. And I, you know, that when you are in a place that's so foreign to you, like I'm a kid growing up in Oklahoma, I'm around farms and people and everybody's black. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And in West Germany, there is no such thing as a black person other than your family. Wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it taught me a lot of lessons about life. And I'm so happy that um that I actually lived there because it, it really helped me learn how to be with people who are absolutely and positively different. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, being and, and being in a setting that was so different. So although I lived on a military base, when I first moved there, I didn't. I lived in a castle, <laughs> a castle mm. that had been divided into apartments mm-hmm. and um, living quarters for people. 
And then I lived on a base. So that was really easy because the military, even when I was a kid, um, and I think this is something that a lot of people don't realize is that on a military base, you got black people, white people, and brown people, always, Mm. always. So the little section that I lived in was like that, but it was just the exterior. And Germany visually looked so different from Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, right. no kidding. <laughs> you, you talk in your book about um, lessons that you learned from mama and auntie, um, mm-hmm. your grandmother about, um, look, th- this is how we're gonna survive uh, an yeah. encounter with a white person. Yeah, uh, we we have uh, there are rules of conduct and behavior to deal with what you call the three cousins. Yeah, uh, or just about care. anybody because I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but well, I just said yeah, please. Just say because I, I'll forget. When I was growing up, even if my grandfather took me to the store, mm-hmm. um, and like say an eight year old white kid was there. And wanted to be, be wanted to go before my grandfather. Like if we were in a line, he would just come and he would walk in the line. And yeah. my grandfather could not say anything to him. He would have to preference it. Would sir, please, may I? Right. That's yeah. how we grew up. Wow. And um, and my and I remember when we were leaving to go to West Germany, my grandmother would always say, "Make sure that you act proper. You have to do." what the rules tell us to do. You can't mm-hmm. go, you can't go outside of the rules. So we sort of grow, grew up with this same, you know, they talk about policing. One of the things that they don't say about policing was policing was, was set up basically to control, you know, the ex-slaves, black people. Yeah, mm-hmm. That was the found, that's the found, that's the root of it. So it's not that people don't want to have police. We just want to try to have you know, a balance and, and equity of justice. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, it's yeah. it's funny because I was thinking about that that chapter and about you know the the protocol for dealing with white people. I was going to say redneck redneck, but I thought that might be racist. Um, <laughs> I, I, don't even, I don't even like to say black people or white people because I think that what we're trying to get to is people. But unfortunately, yeah. we live in a society where we that we can't do that yeah it's it's a it's problematic and i i feel like if you're going to have a word like like white people and i remembered in your book you had these images of all these whites whites only signs yeah and it's like oh and i i you know (laughs) i don't i have never really liked the word because it feels like it's a bucket that nobody else can get in Mm -hmm. and that's what it's for and these European Americans started, you know, calling themselves white. Um, it really creates a, a barrier. And so, if we keep using the word, then like, well, it, no one else can get in there in that bucket and be people. But as you said, you know, it, practically speaking, uh, you know, we're trying to communicate, and so the language right. language becomes a tool to, to communicate to communicate exactly yeah. and so yeah. <laughs> but, but i wanted to go back to the the point that you made about um the talk because that was uh my dad gave me the talk about how to deal with the police and what to say and how you mm-hmm. speak and what you do in the decorum and and i gave that same talk to harmony's son to jed 
And because it's like, well, this is how you're going to survive an encounter with a police officer. And mm-hmm. I've done a lot of work with, with kids um, and say in the inner city, say in Milwaukee or um, oh, okay. San Francisco. And I'd all also talked about that, how the importance of mindfulness can keep you alive in, a, in an encounter. Mm-hmm. And I and have that, a feeling that maybe like a lot of other white people don't get the talk. I don't think they do because <laughs> the talk is a little bit different. And the reason that the talk doesn't happen is because it's because we can't ever zip the skin off. And that's what yeah. in the black community, that's what it's about more than anything. I know police stop everybody. They can, right. you know, they don't give, they don't just hassle us. I, you know, I've worked with teenagers who drive cars and, you know, I, I've, I've worked with a lot of people in my life and, and it, it, you have to talk to, to, to your kids about the police but you don't have to talk to them about <laughs> how not to be black because then <laughs> it boils down. Right. To... <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you be, can you not be black in this encounter? That's yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. No, and, I and, you know, the fact that, you know, so many white kids get stopped for the same reasons they might have marijuana, they might have something, but they don't get shot. You yeah. know, they're just like, you're going to get a ticket. Yeah. I'm going to get this well, ticket or I'm going to go tell your dad. I'm going to go yeah. tell your dad. Exactly. Yeah. I'm gonna. Oh, I need to. I need to. That's the first. The first time I ever got stopped. That's the first thing that they did. Uh-huh. Instead of shooting me, <laughs> they took me home and spoke yep. to my parents. Yep. Yeah, that's different. Yeah. 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 So there, there's a lot of differences, and but I think that people are really trying to be sensitive to each other, and. One of the things, it was hard coming back to the U.S. to actually live here full time. I've had a real, it's been a a major adjustment and I'll tell you why. It's been a major adjustment because I, in India, not even one day did I ever have to deal with being black. Mm -hmm. I completely lost, when when you're there, you just completely lose that. You just, you know, it because it's it's something different it's yeah. you know and not that it, life in india is easy and not that in, there's not prob their problems don't exist they do exist they exist mm-hmm. everywhere but the big difference is that when you live in america and i don't care where you live people say oh where i live is just really good well it's not <laughs> believe me it's not yeah there's a dark there's a yeah shadow side yeah well i was i was going to ask you about bangalore and about living in india and if and whether or not you know even um in spite of uh the hindutva that's going on there if you would if you could feel included in the same way because you're i mean you're not brahmin you know, no. so so what are you? But if if you, you know, I asked Laruga this question about whether or not she felt more at ease in Europe uh, than you know she would obviously in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And I asked her about that. She said, "No, I I kind of I, I think there is a similar feelings in in Sweden that I that I'd have in the states as far as feeling uh, different." Mm. Um, because I had asked her about that because, you know, Miles Davis would always talk about that. Like going to Europe, you would feel like there just wasn't the same old bullshit that you got when he was growing mm-hmm. up in St. Louis. Yeah. Well, but you have to remember, Miles and all of those people, all the musicians don't count. 
<laughs> you can't count them because Europeans love the arts. They oh, love arts. They love that's jazz what musicians. Mean. Yeah. They, and jazz musicians, you know, I, I've been married to a couple of jazz musicians and they they live in Europe and they don't want to live anywhere else because it's <laughs> right. really, you know, it's like, why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They just yeah. think I'm nuts. They're like, I heard that they have this, they have bad toilets, they have bad this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. India's fine. You'd like it if you came. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, Harmony and I, when we first started dating, um, one of the things that really turned her on, I think what she said, what turned her on for me was that I sent her Nina Simone songs. Oh my gosh. When I read that from your notes, I was like, oh my God. Oh my God! You talk about okay. There's I have a lot of girls, but Nina and, Mo- and, and I bring her up only because she also moved to Europe to get away from yeah. The yeah, but go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> she did. She did. And I think that um um oh, what's the song? Stevie Wonder is getting ready to move to Ghana. Really? Because, yeah, Ghana. Oh. Because Ghana is one of the African is the main African country that has offered um, dual citizenship to anybody that's uh, of African descent. Wow. Well, how do you prove that? Oh, it's easy. Look <laughs> <laughs> I'm just seeing if I can slide in, that's all. Can I get in this, can I get in this on this one? No. <laughs> I've been like, and so in love with these African musicians lately. There's a woman, if you have a chance, Please go online, go to YouTube channel and look up uh, Sonia uh, Jabarte. Sonia Jabarte. She's from um, the Gambia. Oh, she is fabulous. Mm -hmm. But getting back to Nina Simone, Nina Simone is one of the most amazing artists, I think, of all time. I mean, the music... You know, she wanted to be a classical pianist. Yeah. Right. That didn't happen for her. But it didn't happen, but then it did. Because sometimes when she, in the middle of a concert, she would stop playing the blues and she would just go right into classical music. Like and Bach. she would just play it for half an hour. And, and then she would stand up. She said, did anybody leave? <laughs> <laughs> she said, yeah, some of them left, but I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> This is great album so of hers, um, Sunday Morning Classics. Mm-hmm. And she has this wonderful cut of Mississippi Goddamn. Mississippi Goddamn. Yeah. Oh, yes. And it was it was recorded shortly after the death of, of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. And uh-huh. you had written about that in your book as well. And so I thought I, I would bring right. it up. And in, in the song, is in, in the, the track is amazingly sad as she introduces it. And then as she starts to play, you can hear her like she can't help herself. She was so loves mm-hmm. music and she starts giggling a little bit. And it's really surprisingly funny. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to know if, if you could talk about that, because you wrote about it in your book about the, the power of music to heal people. Oh, yeah. When they're as bad off as they as as they are. It's always been used. Music has always been used as a healing force and a uniting force for people, for the soul. It nourishes the soul. That's why the words mean nothing. Mm -hmm. In all the years that I spent in India trying to learn Sanskrit and not being a very good Sanskrit 
person, mm -hmm. but I wanted to use Sanskrit words and texts and, and different songs. And I, you know, going there, people told me, please don't do that. And so I did it a lot less than what I actually wanted to do. But um, music is so, so, so powerful. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's just like, doing concentrated breathing, you know? Sometimes we do concentrated breathing because we want to get from here to there. Music could right. do the same thing. Mm -hmm. It does the exact same thing. And because the vehicle for singing or blowing into an instrument is the voice, is the breath, you know? And yeah. which is, it's the same. It's, mm -hmm. it's the absolute same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's It amazing. heals you. Yeah, <laughs> our Sanskrit teacher used to say that chanting, um, like the Vedic chanting, was the mm -hmm. first. I don't know if it was the first, but a type of pranayama because you had to learn to control um, yeah. your release of the air to make the sounds and to to uh, chant the mantras for a certain length of time so that you were taking the breath in the right place. And so, it's it's interesting to to equate, like you're saying, this breath control with singing as well, because there's so much breath control needed when you're oh, a, yeah. a singer. Or playing a saxophone. Look at John Coltrane. Mm. I don't care mm -hmm. what anyone says. That is not normal. <laughs> 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 I, yeah. I don't know how he did it. And, and yeah. That's God. You know, that's God. Or yeah. you look like, a, you look at a singer like, like, like Nina Simone. Or mm. like Aretha Franklin, or like right. Gladys Knight, or like Mahalia Jackson. I mean, right. the, the list just goes on and on. Or, and uh, when Sister Pearl, listen, for example. Uh, Sister Pearl, <laughs> the devotion that these people, all mm. of them, the mm. devotion that they have, you mm. know, it's just, it's so incredible. It is so incredible. And when you go to hear them sing, you know, you go, you you just go into this other place altogether. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, it's just like a great guru, or a great, you know, it, it's, it's an energy. You know, there's an energy and that energy takes you right to God. And that's what I love so much about yoga is that when I was 17 years old and was introduced to yoga, there was something about it. And, and when we used to do it back in the old day, there was much more breath work included. We would stop after the poses and we would just do breath work and then we would start up again. And so there was this, there was this movement and this sound of the breath and just this whole thing that just would take you into a rapture and you just felt like you were with God. Mm -hmm. To me, the only reason I practice yoga is because it was a, my invitation to sit with God. Mm -hmm. There's no other reason. Mm. You know, beautiful. I actually, I have to admit that I don't, I, we don't actually know each other very well. Yes, we do. Ah, <laughs> let, me, let me set it up. Let me set it up. So we don't actually know each other, but I've been to many of your kirtans and uh, to sing bhajans in, in New York and in Mysore. Mm -hmm. um, but if anybody had asked me, oh, do you know Sister Shree? So, oh, I know Sister Shree's my good friend. You know, <laughs> that's, that's my friend. <laughs> and and it's I feel it very strongly. And I, how, you know, what is that about you? This innate ability that people, when they meet you, they, they like, 
oh, that's my friend. That's that's uh, that's someone um, who is a friend of mine. But does it resonate for you that 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 you might be special? I I don't think I'm special. I know one of the things that I do that might draw some sort of other energy towards me is I recite God's name all day. I just mm. keep that's my mantra. Oh. You know, I, it's either I'm Omnima Shivaya. You know. Mm. Mm-hmm. I chant to Lord Ram all the time. I chant to Saraswati all the time. I just, mm. all the time, constantly. And one friend of mine um, from years ago said to me, never stop chanting God's name. Chant God's name. And I tell you, it's the best thing that anyone could have ever said to me. I think I knew that somehow inside and probably was kind of doing it, but my thing is to try to be open to anybody and everybody because it's important to be inclusive to, to everybody becomes your sister. Like back in the old day in the sixties, when I was in, you know, in school and doing everything, you know, that's what we, everybody was brother. Everybody was sister. Mm-hmm. Everybody, we were a family. We were just, we were just going around the planet, just connecting to each other. We were just going around would catch, you know, hitchhiking to go to school. And it was, thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. You know, mm-hmm. thank you, sisters. Mm-hmm. People just love, there was a lot of love. That's what I, I love about the 60s and miss about it. Yeah. <laughs> so much love, you know. Yeah, so, a real family feeling. It, it had that feeling. It was really, really a special time. I tell you, because... You develop this fa- this outside family and people were, you know, if they weren't vegetarian, they were going to be vegetarian. <laughs> and I tell you, like all of my old friends, all of my, I don't know anybody who eats meat. I don't know anybody who drinks any alcohol. I know a ton of people who smoke marijuana right. <laughs> and still smoke it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one of the things I'm I'm most proud of is that my mom did a lot of cocaine with with with, with Sly and the Family Stone. Um, but oh, that <laughs> was well. Actually, I'm gonna I should rephrase it. At one concert that she promoted for him in Chicago, so they did a lot of cocaine together. But um, there was a there was a riot actually too because he did so much cocaine he wouldn't get on stage because he got oh paranoid and then there was a big the crowd riot and it was a big problem for another her. brilliant artist he was oh yeah. he's so gorgeous he's so Beautiful talented I, he's one of the most talented artists of the time mm-hmm. and it was too bad that cocaine took him yeah. to a different yeah. place but you I think didn't really do nice. a lot of that, right? You didn't really do it. You were like pretty, you've been clean and, and really uh, averse to it. I think maybe because if, you, if someone gave me, if, if someone slipped something like cocaine into my system, I would probably die. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I don't drink, I don't drink wine. I've never drank wine. I've never drank champagne. I've never drank any alcohols. And uh, to be honest with you, I've been around so many people who smoke marijuana that I didn't need to smoke marijuana. I could sit there and get a contact high. Perfect. (laughs) And I decided that the only thing that it ever made me feel like was going to sleep. And so I was like, no, this is probably not for me. (laughs) And the other thing, we used to do these things where we would meditate together and chant together. And I felt so spiritually high. And to me, that was important, was spiritually. I want to be spiritually high. 
you know, I want to be high on life and high on love. And, you know, like that's, that, that's who I am because that feels safe to me. If I'm out of control, if people, people tell me when they're high, I don't know if they're in control or out of control, but I think because I've worked with so many addicts that they're a little bit out of control. Mm-hmm. I think that would be right to say. And one thing that I don't ever want to be is out of control because mm-hmm. I think that you bring trouble to yourself when you're out of control. Definitely. You know, I, I've always just loved your music. It's a very different kind of kirtan <laughs> than, than you might get someplace else. It has so many blue notes. It's flecked with, with, those, with those blue notes through it. Mm-hmm. And it's, in, it's really, it's like, wow, this is soul music. And I- That's what once, it is. <laughs> one time, one time I saw this video by Derek Trucks, who does all these ragas. Um, you know, he's um, he's like one of the baby Almond Brothers, and he oh, okay. he's like Butch, the drummer Butch Trucks's son or nephew, and then he's played guitar for the Almond Brothers, and he would go into all of these ragas with his guitar, mm-hmm. and he would talk about how that there's universal notes in gospel music and ragas. Yeah. that allow them to go back and forth. Definitely. And, it, and so, but your music is not say orthodox uh, Indian bhajan music. Oh God, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm a gospel rhythm and blues paces. And I heard those sounds, those Sanskrit sounds. And I was like, oh, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going <laughs> we to gospel this up a little bit. <laughs> The first time that I ever heard someone chanting, I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is it. And then when Alice Coltrane started doing it, it was like, okay, you have permission to do this now. Go on and just do it. And I did. And I'm just so happy that I did because the verses fit in so well. But that's because it's all devotional music. It's mm-hmm. all God's music. Mm-hmm. That's what it is, whether it's a raga or whether it's a, you know, it, 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 it's a blues note. It's 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 music that nourish, nourishes the soul, yeah, the heart. It's incredible that there would be that there could be something like universal to human beings that like a a sequence or a pattern of notes would have a a universal effect on human consciousness that's the same and that we can all share this no mm-hmm. matter where we come from. That's right. That's that's what's incredible about music. You don't, you don't, the language doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's what it does to the heart and soul. Mm. Yeah. There's a a wonderful video with Herbie Hancock um, where this, this young boy who looked like he was about 14 was, he did this incredible video where he was doing uh, how to introduce harmony to, Mm -hmm. um, to different, grade levels, like a child, high school student, college student, a professional musician, and then Herbie Hancock is at the end. That's the next level behind professional musician. <laughs> and it's true, like they, he would talk about describing harmony. And then when he got to Herbie Hancock, it was like, they stopped talking and they would just play <laughs> back and forth to each other and smile like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. this, and then this, and it's like, oh, I don't think I speak this language anymore. (laughs) 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 This is like, they, they are understanding something on another planet is what's yeah. Yeah. 
what mm. what made you um begin your study of music was it something always in your life or did you consciously choose to study music? was it was it that woman's sister pearl that you met at the church i'm a black girl blo- growing up in america you go to church right you go to church everybody went to church when i when i was a kid I mean, you couldn't go any place or do anything if you didn't go to church Sunday. And most of us were at church all the time. And we went from the junior choir to the, you know, the mass choir at the church. And, you know, I've sang in choirs with like over 300 people in them. I really have, like just made these massive, massive choirs. And I just like singing. I mean, because lyrics the writing the lyrics used to be more like a poetry or or, a story being told that's Mm -hmm. why i love he is one of my gurus is bill withers he (sighs) passed away last year yes this man this man the stories that he has told about the history of my people in his lyrics is it's just amazing you, you mentioned that in your yeah. in your book, and I was so thrilled. Uh, I grinned when I saw you. You the very first musician that you mentioned was Bill Withers live at Carnegie Hall oh, yes. in 1973, and you like you you talked about um, the the song uh, Grandma's Hands, and I, mm-hmm. that that seemed to set up for you your whole life story with your own grandmother. Oh yeah. That song, it just like, even now, and I, I listen to Bill Withers, I'll listen to him two or three times a week. I'll listen to that that album. I, I listen mm-hmm. to it, I still say albums, but that's what it was to me. It was my album, it was my yeah. thing, it was my guy. You know, he just, <laughs> he's such a great storyteller. And I tell you, I I love, reason that I like, who are we just talking about? Uh, Anita Simone or Bill Withers or? or no, the uh, guy with that. Your mother's producer. Herbie Hancock. Her, Herbie oh, Hancock. No, 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 no not Sly in the Family Sly. Stone. Sly. <laughs> the thing that I like so much about Sly and Bill Withers, they had the baddest bass players ever. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Talk about the funk. I'm so, even as old as I am, I'm still into the funk. If you put the funk on, I think <laughs> My mother, my children would be saying, Mommy, sit down. With <laughs> I'm the like, funk. Oh, I got the fuck on. <laughs> That's one of my favorite stories on that album. I tell that story, I make that joke all the time. When we had LaRuga on, I wanted to tell that joke about her, that LaRuga's so quiet, she only said eight words last year. <laughs> Six of them were airport. Right. <laughs> and like, I played that album all the time when I was when I was a kid. It was just like that Bill Withers album is. Oh, yes. Oh, it's beautiful. It is such a good album. I was so sad because I was praying. I, I pray every year that he would go back and, you know, go and do another live at Carnegie Hall. But he yeah. just didn't do it. But, you know, he has a daughter who sings and she has a beautiful voice. Oh, she. Oh, he does. Yeah. So that's That'd be nice to listen yeah. to. She does, yeah. Oh. But can so, you tell us a little bit more about about Sister Pearl and her effect on you? I, I know I, I mentioned it, just that you, you heard her, and she was one oh, of the yeah. women. Yeah, she was in director the church of the choir. She and was, they, she was she was over the choir at the at the Pentecostal church that I went to, and I'm telling you, Sister Pearl was like 
Aretha Franklin, Mahalia Jackson. She was like all of them rolled up into one. She's, mm. oh, she could sing. She could sing. It's amazing when you have, you hear these voices and they have a, such a melodic way of speaking. And when they're on stage or with the choir, that's the way it is. And I'm like, how did she get that? Mm-hmm. And she used to always say, it's, it's devotion, it's mm-hmm. God. And I really believe that because sometimes as a singer, you're singing a lot in an evening and you can do that. Like, I, I don't know, I get tired. I just turn it on to play. <laughs> like, y'all play. Yeah. <laughs> it's funky. And that's how, that's why one, one thing for me <laughs> as a, I call myself a so so kind of musician. I know how to put together compositions, I know how to put together the artists because I come from the soul. Mm-hmm. Only people that I play with is if I, if our souls can come together, because mm-hmm. a lot of it is improv. And so the spirit has to be, it has to be there. Mm-hmm. And, and I always know it. I, I, I know it. If it's, if it's the right person for me, you know, I know it. I had, um, I've, I've been really lucky because I've, I've been able to do some recordings with some really great musicians. And I'm just thankful to God for that. But making music is, it has to be organic and it has to, you know, it just, it has to be spontaneous. And if the spirit, it's the spirit of the musician that you're working with. Like I know all the people that I've ever recorded with. I know every one of them. And I know what they're about. And I know that they can do it. I know that, at, you know, at the drop of the hat, if the spirit starts moving, they're going to get on that train and they're going to move with the spirit. And we're going to have a glorious time in devotion with God. And so anytime I do anything, it's always about the movement with God, towards God, towards the light. Well, that's what Miles would say that the you could tell just by the way that someone dressed that they were going to be good at music or not. Mm-hmm. And it's true. It's so easy to pick up a good, it's so easy to pick up a good musician. When I came back, I did this, the latest CD that I did is the dedication to, to Nina Simone. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, you know, I've been, I haven't been here for a while. It's just like, it's going to take me some time. So I go to the people that I know that know people to think, the same way about the music. Mm-hmm. And I always have to have some people who are like, it's easy now to get people who are across between technical aspects and spirit, because, you know, we just have more, you know, really highly trained technical musicians. I have two guys, three guys, young guys playing with me on that particular um, CD that are either Berkeley trained or Juilliard trained, but also church trained. I, they had mm-hmm. to be from the church. Right. And then Bill, who's always been with me for the last 25 years. And he's, you know, he's so funny because he's actually uh, uh, an, an engineer from Cornell, <laughs> but mm-hmm. his father was a, uh, was, was a keyboard player at, at the church that he grew up to. And so after he finished his, what he felt was his duty to his family, you know, going to, you know, university, mm-hmm. getting a bachelor's degree, getting a master's degree, he came out and they said, okay, now you're going to get a job. And he said, yeah, at the church playing the organ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he always he had that, that. Uh, degree to fall back on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, 
You know, the music is really, really important, as is the yoga. Like, we're at, next week is the last week um, at Sarah Lawrence. And um, it's, it's really interesting because I've kind of watched music go from, oh, kind of music, music and yoga together go from one thing. Yoga is sort of like, got on a train and just zoomed mm-hmm. at one point you mm-hmm. know i remember when there were no yoga studios around people from new york used to actually come to boston because there was a really good strong um iengar center there right yeah and so they would patricia come walden maybe patricia is up walden there. exactly yeah. yeah and barbara Bainer. and um so you couldn't find yoga studios and it's funny, like somebody, some great yoga, uh, yoga master would come from India every once in a while. And we would get up like at three o'clock in the morning, sometimes travel a couple hundred miles uh, to go to, to, to get these teachings. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would go to these really isolated places in India to, 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 to do it. Or mm-hmm. I would have to, I, I had this private funding for years to teach underprivileged school kids, um, underprivileged kids yoga in the school. And I would have to meet with just about every single parent to assure them that it wasn't like voodoo. It wasn't something yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. Yoga wasn't a yeah. bad thing, that it was a good thing. Been there. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and I had to, and I, only people who were kind of counterculture and hippie like me would just say, okay. To it because but everybody was really leery about mm-hmm. yoga and I look at yoga today and I just can't believe it even right. down to the music I'm like I'm so surprised now because the only music that I ever heard in a yoga studio was my music and it was um listening to Alice Coltrane and Carlos Nakai <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that reminds me that um because we had that lawsuit uh, against us with the Joyce Foundation. Oh yeah, yeah. With the, the teaching kids yoga in Encinitas, and that's that was pretty close to where you you lived for about ten years. Yeah, and I lived longer than that probably. <laughs> we were we were we were really surprised because we thought we were going to have trouble with the Jehovah's Witnesses in Florida, mm-hmm. and then in Encinitas we're going to be cool. Mm-hmm. But they were they were ready for the fight. In, oh. in, in in San Diego, they like you all had been there doing the hippie stuff for so long <laughs> mm-hmm. that when we finally said we're going to bring the hippie stuff into the school, like they they pounced on it. They were so ready to fight us on that. But that's because you were in in uh, you were in. I'm sorry to say that that was just that. <sighs> you were really like very close to those orange county people that's right you were that's really right. close to them and that's really republican and that's really really cons- it's so conservative it's unbelievable yeah surprising we were su- we were shocked yeah but if you go further and actually southern california tends to be extremely conservative it does like you have cool people who might live there like i used to live on the ocean in um in in Encinitas and there were like all of these Hollywood people who live like right. you know mm-hmm. right there and and I've and I've always thought they were pretty progressive and cool but you would meet some who were sometimes very very conservative extraordinarily right. conservative and I think you ran into this new batch of them that's really yeah. 
I was surprised to hear that, yeah. We were teaching at uh, Nancy Joyce's uh, elementary school and that's where we ran into the problem. And I, I think maybe, um, I, is that how you started getting into Ashtanga yoga? Was that you were with, uh, you were studying with Manju? Is that how you learned about the whole thing? No, I found out, I, I had, it, it took me a long time to find Manju because yoga wasn't, still wasn't real popular then. And mm -hmm. Ashtanga yoga wasn't popular at all. What happened, I'll tell you what happened. Uh, you know, I, I've been practicing Iyengar yoga, and I even went to Pune and did the whole thing there. Mm. Um, and with and actually wow. with uh, yeah, yeah. So I practiced there a bit, and because I, I went a few times, and mm -hmm. the the main person that I practiced with was one of one one of his students, because I never did that thing of trying to sign in and everything, and he himself, you know told me to go to the student of his and told me to come to the afternoon classes where they have all the people who had some sort of things going on with them. But mm -hmm. I practiced with Manju and Manju is just, Manju is amazing. Mm -hmm. He's just really, really amazing. And he told yes. me to go to see his father. But how I got into Ashtanga was that I gotten to the point with doing the yogas that I was doing, I'll just put it that way because I don't want to say one particular one, but the yogas that I was practicing at that time. And like I all different doing, types. Yeah. And I, and I, but I had one teacher. I was practicing one type, but I don't really want to say what it was. Okay. But I, um, but I really felt for me and who I am mm -hmm. that I, that something was missing. And I wanted, and I needed to have those spaces filled in. And mm -hmm. I just kept asking people, there has to be somebody that's not eliminating poses and changing poses and, right. and having us having us use props all the time. There has to be somebody that doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. So one uh, person that I met came who was come who came from India said, "Well, you know, there is a man in the south." And he, uh, people don't like to go to him because he, he it, the yoga is really hard. Mm -hmm. There are no modifications and he doesn't speak English and he calls everything out and, and uh, Sanskrit names. But if you want to go to, go, but he didn't eliminate anything. I was like, really, what's his name? I don't know what his name is. You have to find out. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay, well, I'll find out. And then someone finally said to me, there's this man named Patabi Joyce, Sri K. Patabi Joyce, and he teaches straight from the book, nothing diluted, nothing changed, just pure. But you had to go to him. I was like, right. <laughs> but he has a son. He, I, I hear he has a son. So I called all the places that they told me to call to try to get, and I, and I wasn't getting much information. And finally, someone said, the, the son's name is Manju, and he teaches in a little yoga shala, and I think it was Encinitas at the time, mm -hmm. and just kind of um, go through all the yoga news things, and you'll find him. So I did, and I got in touch with him, and he said, oh, sure, come come see me. I was living in Boston at the time, so I used to just go down to see him, like, sometimes as much as once a month, twice a month, and I, you know, and I just felt like this is really, really good. And he kept saying, you got to go study with my father. 
That's what you got to do. So I said, okay, that means I got to go to India. Mm. That's a long way. (laughs) It's even further than California. And so finally, when Guruji came in 92 or 93 to the, to Jiva Mukti, Mm -hmm. I went to to see him and so and I followed him across the country when he that because he did a, did a big trip across the country right. so I kind of followed him and he told me he said you come and practice with me you come to India you study with me I'll fix everything because mm-hmm. I kept saying Every, things are not quite right he said come fix it fix it I'll fix it <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and wow. so I did that and I, I went for a month and then I came home and I just got everything in order and I went back and stayed for six months. Wow. My visa ended and, and, and every year I would go after that. Every, and I, I'm one of those people I didn't miss not one year yeah. <laughs> until he died. I was there. I just started making the time bigger. You know, I would come and about 10 years before he passed away, I was staying there like six months. I mean, yeah. I would stay for six months, go do my visa for about 10 years. I did that. So I, I li- kind of lived there for, that was my home. And, um, and, and that was really good for me because it, it really helped me clean out a whole lot of stuff, you know, like physically or emotionally or mentally, Both. Both. everything, everything, <laughs> everything. It just like, <laughs> it's one of those things when you you can say that I, I honestly like my life what I do and who I am and the decisions that I've made because they weren't always real easy because I had children and I you know they weren't completely grown up at the time and so mm-hmm. you know I had that and um but I just, I just knew that I needed to be in India. And I kept, I would walk out of Guruji's little shala in Lakshmi Purim and in the, every morning. And I would just think, thank you, God. This is so amazing. It's so incredible for me to come and learn so much just about humanity and life in such a weird strange place because that's that's what it was it was really it was really it was odd at least for me it was Mm -hmm. you know because I hadn't really I've always traveled a lot but just kind of really got into a certain way of life you know or or, or feeling you know having to you know have a, a a wagon and cart my water back and forth you know to to where I lived you know, we would have to do that sometimes because the water would go off at a certain time each day and there would be no water. So if you wanted water, you'd have to go to the middle and you had to pump to get water and carry it back. So you'd have water when you needed to have it. Uh, or, you know, I spent a lot of time in the villages with the kids and I worked in a lot with a lot of kids that lived on the street. Wherever I went in India, that's the one thing that was very consistent is doing, I always did volunteer work. I don't care. It's just what I felt I had to do. Because one of the things that everyone has said to me, Seva is one of the most important things that you can do. And, I, and I'm and i like a, a social worker, so I'm gonna do some sort of Seva wherever I go. Mm-hmm. Because I believe that we're here to try to help. 
and to, mm -hmm. to do something for someone else. I, there was a song back in the 60s, everybody has to serve somebody. And I think that's really- Oh, the Dylan. Yeah, the Dylan yeah. song. Yeah. yeah. And I and that I used to always sing that song too. <laughs> I, because I just <laughs> think serve it's such somebody. a wonderful, you know, it's just such a wonderful thing to, to be able to do, you know, like yeah. I'm, you know, I, I'm much older now, so I don't do a yoga practice like I used to do, but I can still do service. And I'm really happy about that because that's what's important. Yeah, and the service in a way becomes the practice, right? Exactly. That's exactly mm. what it is, you know? And I, and instead of working for your own body, you're working for others. to serve others. And yeah, it's almost a higher practice in some ways. Oh, it is. I will never forget one time, um, you know, when Ashtanga really got going and, and Richard Freeman used to go around and do a lot of workshops in different yoga places. And I, I'll never forget one year, he came to Boston and, and uh, one uh, woman asked in the group, you know, we were having a little discussion group. She said, well, what is your practice like now? As this was after he had his kid. He said, mm -hmm. well, my practice is really taking care of my kid. And I just love the fact that he mm -hmm. was a guy who said it and he said it, you know, all these people yeah. kind of, I just thought, because, still in our in our age group but at, i guess at that time you know it wasn't so uncommon for men to sort of open their hearts in that way but i just saw this open, this beautiful open heart and this big smile on his face as he mm -hmm. responded saying it's my son <laughs> my, yeah. that's what my practice is and i really like that a lot i just love it when people share the goodness that God gave all of us. You know, um, unfortunately, my life as a kid, lived, growing up and being in America, and, I, and I, as much as I'd like to say that America's changed a whole lot, and when it comes to certain things, it hasn't. Mm -hmm. But the group is much larger now mm. that wants to you know, embrace life and everyone and everybody sort of mm -hmm. loves each other. And the fact that when I grew, when I was growing up, the difference between my childhood and like my children's childhood is that when I go to visit my daughters in, um, in Boston and there's a dinner or something planned, the people who come are all <laughs> the mixtures of people. Yeah. It's just it's just amazing. It's just like the human rainbow that life has created. That even though there's still these rules that stop people from doing this and stop people from doing that, the rainbow is requiring and requesting something different to happen. Like I try my best not to watch too much of the news, but when I turn on the news from time to time and there's a march, a demonstration going on, there are as many majority cultured people carrying signs saying Black Lives Matter or LGBTQ Lives Matter or Brown Lives Matter. I'm just so impressed with the numbers mm -hmm. of people who are trying to get to freedom. Mm -hmm. yeah. So 
one of my favorite Nina Simone <laughs> songs is about freedom. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just want to be free. I will, I will be free. Yeah. 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 That's a beautiful song. I, um, Young, Gifted and Black mm-hmm. is such an incredible, like a, such a soaring song. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I, I want to uh, talk about Oklahoma again for just a minute. Um, one thing that you mentioned about living in Bangalore and walking back and forth with your cart and and doing the pump to get water and bring the water back. I oh, thought that's Mysore. That would be it's Mysore. Mysore, <laughs> yeah, Mysore. And I thought, I wonder if that's yeah, that must be how you grew up in in Oklahoma, and it made you maybe you you remembered something like that. Or was we familiar. had we had a well for sure. We had a well, and when I was a real little kid, it's something that people's mothers never want to admit because we were country people and we had an outhouse and we um and and we did we had to, to we'd have to make we had a big um a tin bathtub and you poured water in that's how you took a bath and outside you had something that was connected so there was a shower like an outdoor shower but you couldn't use the outdoor shower in the winter time my mother wouldn't like this story at all <laughs> but i love it because to me Going to India took me home. It yeah. took me home. It was like we grew up on, I grew up on a farm. We had animals. We um, early morning milkings and all of that kind of stuff. All of that stuff. Farmers. Yeah. Just sitting in, we should just, when we were kids, we would just play in the dirt. We would yeah. play in the dirt. We would just sit in the dirt. Sometimes we make mud puddles and, and we would sit in those and we would play in those. And it was, life was just fun. I mean, it was really hard, but we, we were segregated. And so white people didn't ever come into our section and we didn't ever go into their section. So our homes and everything were pretty safe particularly mm-hmm. after they kind of dismantled to a degree the the, the KKK. Yeah, and, the three cousins. Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, I, I still have to say being in my grandma's house and being around all of my, my immediate tribe of people, um, life was good. <laughs> you know, it was oh. hard, but it was good at the same time, which... That's the other aspect of India that I that I loved. Life was hard and good at the same time. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because one of the the more particularly uh, magnetic or sexy figures in your book was Tyrone, who is, uh, (laughs) as I understand, the father of your of your first child, your daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I really I really enjoyed that that passage of your book. And then you said that uh, after your daughter was born, and I think that might have been in Hawaii, mm-hmm, right? That, that your daughter, you sent your daughter to grow up with your mom and your grandma and your auntie in Oklahoma, right. and then you could go around, you know, go about doing the business of of study, of, right? Of, exactly, of learning the things you needed to learn. And I want to know if you could talk about that. Still, must have been a hard decision, though, to do that. It was a hard decision, but I was really young. You have to remember, I was really, really young. It was the best decision. It was a hard decision. And I didn't know. I, I was I was a child myself and I needed to grow up. I knew that I needed to grow up and I knew that I was vulnerable to a whole lot. So I saw a lot of things that I 
that were good. And I saw a lot of things that were actually pretty scary <laughs> that just, just kind of is the way that, that life is. But I went to school, I went to university during the time when the consciousness level was really high in the country. Right. And there was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of support and just a lot of love, you know, going around. Yeah. And um, even though that was a hard decision and my daughter and I had a talk about this just recently. And I told her, I said, you know, I, I, I tried to do the best thing that I knew to do. And mm -hmm. so I sent you. And she said, remember, I never really wanted to come home. I said, yeah, that my film. He said, it's because I had a real good time. They treated me like I was some sort of princess or something. Yeah. <laughs> so she said, don't be upset about that. I, I she said it it worked out. She said, maybe in the beginning, you know, it was I thought it was weird, but then like I knew you and you were just a hippie. That's what they yeah. all call me now. Even they, you're just a hippie. Yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah at, at that time then i think when you, when your daughter went off and it sounded like she was well taken care of you were um you were working on college campuses and learning is is yeah. that was it in san diego then that you started working with stokely carmichael and the black power association the students for um i um <laughs> i was really involved in community um, service organizations and the Black yeah. Panthers. So yeah. it's, it's terrible that they get such a bad rap because when I look at the thing, the things that they did that have stayed, like yeah. um, food programs for kids in school, breakfast programs, lunch programs. And one of the things that was really important during the pandemic was getting that food getting food to the kids right. who depended on that food for their, you know, day-to-day -day nourishment. And when I looked at uh, the news and I saw people handing out food just the way we used to do, mm -hmm. I was just like, I was like, thank God, God is good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, th that's one of the things that they were really in involved with they set up so many community service centers at the time because i was so like not knowledgeable about a lot of things those community that community service center in san diego that i used to work in and and, and go to it was like a home for me mm -hmm. and so you know we did all kinds of things that's where the yoga started that's where mm -hmm. the yoga started. The yoga, and I tell people, they look at me, Black Panthers and yoga. I said, Black Panthers and yoga. Can you dig it? <laughs> That's exactly what it was. You yeah. know, I used to go to the community center and do it. And I'd get people to come and help. And like, see, yoga was really different. It, it had a real political community-based side to it back then. Mm -hmm. I mean, the yoga studios, like if we were putting out flyers for something for, for, you know, getting, uh, you know, medicine for kids or, or, or for, for women or, you know, just, we should do all kinds of things, getting food, you know, getting medical treatment. That's where community um, service uh, health clinics came up. 
during mm -hmm. that time. All mm -hmm. of that stuff. I'm not saying that this is all the work of, of the Panthers. This is the work of communities becoming aware and conscious of what the needs were. And so the people in the in in the in all these communities really worked hard at you know implementing this stuff. And I mean it was like a full-time, you know, job every single day. It wasn't even a, a, a nine to five. We just worked right around the clock because that's what it took back to in those days to sort of get movement going mm -hmm. and move forward whether it was the women's movement or it was a people's it was just a people's movement what do we need like Let's like what, like what miles davis said what do you call your music well it's people's music <laughs> social music yeah yeah that's yeah. that that's what it was people had more time to sit with each other and be with each other. I don't think that the world is weird now, but I, I do think it's kind of weird when, I, when I'm walking on the street and I look in a cafe and there's a table of four people. This is before the pandemic. And mm. every single person sitting at the table has their phone that they're on, has some kind of app that they're on. Right. People are not looking at each other and feeling each other's spirit in the way that they used to. That's a generalization. And maybe I should stop looking in restaurants taking <laughs> walks and stuff. But I even see people doing it. Like I'm like, how can you be out in all this nature with these birds just singing their hearts out? And you got this thing strapped to your ears. Mm. But you know, it's it's a it's really a different life. It's really, really, really a different life now. So I probably won't step into it, but I, I'll be observant of it and I'll probably have a couple of little things to say about it. But I think I, I think that we're moving in some real positive di directions with a lot of things these days. And, you know, I always say to people in a yoga class, now don't roll up your mat and stop practicing yoga. That's right. Mm. That's right. Practice you keep practicing all day, yeah. mm -hmm. all day. All day. Yeah. Wow. You, um, I just want to say as an aside, and I don't even, I don't really, really know how to fit this into the conversation, but um, I, I'd heard that Stokely Carmichael had changed his name to Kwame Tura, mm -hmm. and then he married Miriam McCabe. Oh, yeah. Something I missed somehow, and I found this out late, but Miriam McCabe is my favorite singer. <laughs> And I, oh. I had, I worshiped her as a young man. I had that click song on all the time in college. <laughs> I can hear her right now. And like, oh, oh. so good. She, her voice is incredibly beautiful. It was just an amazing, amazing voice. That's why, please go and listen to Sonia Giverte. She, no, won't, she, she doesn't do it. She doesn't sing in English, but you'll get it. You'll love yeah. it. You will love her. Yeah, I didn't need Mary McCabe to sing in English either. I just like, just yeah. let me, yeah. let me hear the, the voice that is something yeah. so soothing about that voice. Yeah, yeah. She was also married to Hugh Masekela. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, yeah. That was, he was, uh, was he her original husband? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I think that it didn't last long, the marriage. It was like a rock star um, oh. marriage, but maybe, I don't know. I don't know. He, yeah, I don't know either. But her music is fantastic. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> it's, 
I think you bring up such a wonderful point there about how in some ways we've moved away from feeling each other and, and being with each other and, and being sensitive to the energy and the heart and the presence of each other. And mm-hmm. with the pandemic, I think people are maybe, I mean, maybe it's a positive thing really um, starting to wake up a little bit to how much we're missing that aspect because mm. now we really can't be with each yeah. other. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe there'll be, maybe there'll be some more transformation, hopefully. I, I think so. I mean, a year, I, because of the length of time, mm-hmm. like at six months, it probably would have made an impact, but this has made a big impact on everybody yeah. because it's for such a long period of time. Yeah. One question does that studio, that yoga studio still exist? The Shala and Encinitas, is it? Oh, uh, Joyce, Joyce Yoga. It yes. does. Um, our good friend, Andrew, um, he, they, they shuttered that location. They turned it into a juice bar. Um, oh. uh, Salima and Jean ran it as a juice bar and a restaurant. Uh, you probably met Salima at some point. I met yeah a long time ago when she first started coming with, uh, with Sonia. Yeah. yeah. And then um, when they shuttered the doors of that location because it was on the high street and you just can't make money with yoga, you know, from seven to eight in the morning. And then mm-hmm. it's on the high street because it just doesn't, doesn't won't make yeah. money the rest of the day. So Andrew moved locations. And Joyce Yoga is an operation um, just outside of um, that street. Oh, well, good. I'm happy to hear that it's still there. I just didn't know if it was there or if it, mm-hmm. because I don't hear so yeah. much from people yeah. anymore. I was never one of the cool people. <laughs> Are you kidding? No. No. You, no. Were, you were too cool. That's, I think, more no, no. of <laughs> You're just so much love and you're yeah. so much soul. And you're, I still, it strikes me like your ability to make me feel like, like I'm your friend and the, I love you is oh, amazing. Gosh. And it's just an incredible capacity that you have. And, I, and I'm just... I couldn't be more proud that you're on the show with us today. And I'm just thankful. Well, I'm very grateful. I'm I'm because this makes me feel a little bit cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to um I hope that at some point I'll be able to visit Mysore, although it's gonna be really sad now because even Swamiji is gone. Yeah, yeah. Swamiji. Oh, Swamiji yeah. is gone. Yeah. Did yeah. I ever did I ever tell you my Swamiji story? No, tell it, please. <laughs> so um, I, I I don't know if I told this on the podcast already. I don't know. I don't know. I, but I uh, <laughs> but um, that's right. That's right. That's right. So I um, at one point in my trip, I was really having a good time. I was enjoying myself and I got a mohawk and then I got a whole bunch of like uh, pajamas and the, I uh-huh. wanted the pajamas to all be in orange because I thought that'd be cool. Uh-huh. And so then people like Tina, the who cooks for the for the right yeah, I remember the, yeah. Yeah, people would ask her like who's that renun- who's the sannyasin <laughs> and Tina would roll her eyes and like he's no sannyasin he's, <laughs> he's into the girls and like let me tell you but I'm walking around you know in the orange saffron you know pajama <laughs> and my mohawk and and I would get like I would get like a little overwhelmed at times with the energy and so mm-hmm. I would go up to Swamiji and I would just sit there mm-hmm. and I could just be quiet, like, yeah, 
no books, no people talking at me, no, no, you know, people gossiping. And I'm always mm -hmm. like getting involved with people. And I like, I could just sit here and just like not talk. It's so nice. Yeah. I went up there all the time. His energy was so soothing. Mm, so soothing. And then one time I was sitting there with him and we were just being quiet together and it was nice. And a tour bus pulled in mm -hmm. and it had something like, I'm going to say 50 to 60 um, middle-class uh, Indian people who are coming in to visit Mysore and visit Chamundi Hill mm -hmm. as uh, tourists. Mm -hmm. And right at that time, I think Swamiji needed to go to the bathroom mm -hmm. and he got up and he went to the bathroom and uh, <laughs> I was the only one left in the cave. <laughs> And he handed me like the little cup of sugar, like yeah, you do. And you, that was your job. <laughs> and I got one job. And can you imagine all like these scores of Indian people from Bangalore and Mumbai and Chennai coming into the little <laughs> cave and like, oh, there's a little white dude in here. <laughs> Giving out sugar. <laughs> and I would just like give them sugar one at a time. Yeah. And just like stare at them, like, I guess. I'm the Swamiji you heard about, like not say anything, you know, you but they the left, they left thinking that I was the Swamiji. <laughs> There's a new Swamiji in Chamundi Hill. He is a, a white, white boy. <laughs> he would do that all the time. Like Swamiji, please, I can't give the sugar. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, you have to give you the sugar. To, you have to meddle. Yeah. Please meddle. Yeah. Oh, he was such oh, a God. beautiful soul. Yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. I have um I I did two recordings of him chanting oh. Rudy. Oh yeah. amazing. Uh, I really appreciate your time. And yeah. And this is feel like we've got a whole rest of your life to talk about. We want to have you back on the show. <laughs> talk about the whole rest of your life. You got a couple more uh like all those jazz a, artists. I some rounds to go. My, my, yeah. oh, my <laughs> mama didn't leave till she was 104. And then, oh, I have one other grandmother and she left at 107. Yeah. Wow. wow. You're going to yeah. be with us for a while. Yeah. yeah, I think I might be here for a minute. Whatever yeah. God decides is what will happen, though. And I just, <laughs> I'm not sure. I think it's time for a name change, too. I don't think Sister Shri is going to work for you anymore. I think it's going to be Mama Shri now. Mama Shri. Mama Shri. <laughs> I was thinking about it. I was like, I'm not calling her sister this is mama, sister. mama shri what, i call you mama shri i love it as long as it's nice i will ask because <laughs> <laughs> you know it's a funny thing now the teenagers at the house high school i'm not going to say the word but do you know what they call each other the girls what the bad word the, the B word, the B word. The oh, B -word. Yeah, yeah. Everybody oh, yeah. is like B, B, B. I'm like, be this, be are that. You guys and they're like, oh, and yeah, this, nowadays it's that. good. It's, it's a good word. It's a good word, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I thank you both very, very much. Well, Aww. thank you. And, we'll and thank you so things. much for reading my book. I really. I loved it. Gonna, I loved your book. We're going to put some links to your we're book and yeah. to your albums, too. And Excellent. Okay. Save a yeah. Selfless Service, the memoir of a modern day yogi. Fantastic book. I loved every. In other words, the memoir of a, of a social worker. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's such a great history and a narrative of how yoga came to be. And it's not just a, something that, you know, white girls did, but it's really in the fabric of our 
of our country and our in our population and our our community and you that's really part of that. great that's um, um yeah that's what i wanted people to see that we're all alike in so many ways and you don't have to be like you know uh, an olympic athlete to do this you can just mm-hmm. do it because you have a lot of love you know yeah. and devotion so thank you peace and love and thank um, you so i'm out of here thank you <laughs> <laughs> take care bye-bye bye-bye thanks for listening to this episode of finding harmony with me your host harmony slater you can find out more information on my website harmonyslater.com and i look forward to connecting with you again soon Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking